I'll wait till we clear there. Yes, I am. Okay. Queuing up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Read Day. My name is Charlotte Cosa. I look my last name. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of sunny Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a paranormal problem or you think you might have a paranormal problem, we can help you out. Okay. It might take us a while. California is a big state, but we uh, will help. We will get out there. And normally what happens is that, thank you for the hearts. I see them. Thank you very much. Um, and normally what happens is that uh, we can't get out to you right away because it is a big state. We'll have somebody call you and kind of settle things down until we can. Uh, we're broadcasting live over Facebook tonight and YouTube and TikTok. Hello, TikTok. Everybody on TikTok. If you can on TikTok, uh, please show me some love. Show me some love. T double tap that screen. Show me some love. Send me some hearts. I'm hoping for a, a goal of 4,000 hearts tonight. You help me with that? You help me with 4,000 hearts? Just tap that screen if you like what you hear today. Okay? I got a couple announcements to make. One of them is that uh, I did teach a psychic uh, development class on protection a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to do a part two on that class. And it's already set up over at the California Haunts meetup site. And uh, I'm going to teach you all about different protection stones and how to make really cool stuff like talisman and um, medicine bags and things like that. So if you, if you if you want to learn how to protect yourself, protect your family and your pets, come on over, join that class. That's going to be, in, uh, I believe, June 10th is going to be the class. That's one of our announcements. Second announcement is... This is a radio show that we do six days a week. Um, every Sunday we read from a paranormal-themed book. We do have permission from the um, author and publisher to read the book on, online, so there's no issues there. And uh, it's a really good book. Michelle Zirkel is the author. She, she, she had been on my show pre uh, previously, and um, she told me the story, and, and, and she, you know, this book's based on, on what her family went through. So it's starting to get really interesting. We're in, we're in uh, day nine of it, chapter 17. We're going to be starting today. But we do this every Sunday, and you don't have to, I mean, TikTok, you guys can watch, and you guys can kind of put me off to the side, to, you know, lay on the couch, close your eyes, listen to me read, you know, and then just listen to a real cool story. Um, I have people that listen to me on a regular basis that carry me around the house as they're doing their housework, or maybe when they're, they're do, doing their, their work at their job. I got no problem with that, because I'm going to be reading anyway, and who the heck wants, who the hell wants to sit there and watch somebody read, when you can just set them down as like background noise, right? Anyway, if you like what you hear today, please double tap. Please, you know, please double tap that screen and uh, show me some love. That goes for Facebook and uh, YouTube as well. You know, give me some thumbs up, give me some hearts, uh, again, you know, and things like that. Because what happens is, the more times you tap, or the more times you, you give me, you know, if you show me love and whatnot, it, it puts us up higher in the algorithm, so we get out to more people. Okay, and that goes for TikTok as well. So if you like what you hear today, the other warning I have for people is this book, this book can get very, can get explicit, okay? And I'm going to skip those parts. I'm going I'm to skim over it. You'll, you'll probably hear me say, and so they got together, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or like the, hus the husband in the book is a police officer. So you might hear me say, uh, so, you know, he has this case about this kid, and I'll skip over it. Because um, I got banned off TikTok a couple weeks ago, and I think it was over that, okay? So just kind of... Um, have that in mind because I don't want to get banned. Okay, I'm doing my best not to get banned here. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody, and uh, we're going to be reading. The, the book is Rain No Evil, and uh, it's getting really good. The last read I did was was really really good. I'm going to read for about an hour. So again, uh, if you like what you hear, be sure to 
show me some love. Also, I have a goal of 50 corgis up there. And the reason why I do that is because I've got to pay bills like everybody else. And uh, this is a way to, for me to keep paying the bills, right? I've got to pay internet bills. I've got to pay, I've got to pay you know, computer bills, everything else. And so I, I need help paying, paying my bills. This is what I do. I, you know, I'm only here full time. This is what I do. So if you could, you guys over on TikTok could help me out with, with a couple corgis. Or maybe, maybe as far as I can get to my, my, my 50 corgi goal, that would be great. But in the meantime, if you like what you hear, please do please tap that screen. Double tap the screen. I don't know how you double tap. Somebody said you can double tap. So please double tap the, the hearts on that screen, okay? All right. So uh, without further ado, we're in Chapter 17 of, of Rain No Evil. So let's get on with this. And like I said, I will read for about an hour. And let's go. A huckleberry kind of breeze, all right? Please tap that screen. Please tap that screen. I, I would love to hit my at least 5,000 likes today. Please tap that screen. And if you could find it in your heart to help me out with, with some corgis, that would be great to you. Help me out. All right. I love you all. I lo love the fact that you're all here. I wish I could read all your comments. Unfortunately, I, I, I could see the icons you're sending up, but I cannot see the comments because I'm sitting here looking at my iPhone screen. Okay. All right. So, yeah, please, please tap that screen. Show me some love. I, I saw, just saw some hearts go up. 5,000. We're trying, we're trying to get 5,000 hearts. And if you can find it in your heart to maybe send me a corgi or two, that'd be great too. Okay. A Huckleberry kind of breeze. This is from Rain No Evil. And I do have permission from the publisher and author to read the book. So here we go. Downstairs, I crack the eggs and put the bacon on to fry. I enjoy cooking in the morning, barefoot, with bad breath and all. Although Alex find my spots. There's a sweet spot to change the page. Oh, Alex would never believe it. But I don't care what he believes. Today is a new day, and I'm determined to enjoy my day. My cooking, my life. The stairs creak as I butter the toast. He's up. How can hey, can you go to the store? Alex says, strolling in the kitchen. Good morning to you too, I say, smiling. Mandy's coming in this afternoon. I'll be so I need some oil for your car. Hope the kids can help me change it after I mow the grass. Oh, crap, I say, rushing over to the stove. I forgot to stir the eggs. Okay, all right, just flip back on me. That's not my fault, Alex says, slapping a spoonful of grape jelly on the toast. I stir silently. I didn't think it was. I'm the one with my head in the clouds or in the underbelly of hell at any given moment. Alex couldn't give a... Alex just doesn't care if Mandy's coming in. Or not, so I don't know why I was bothering to tell him. I search his face, hoping to feel a trickle of that gooey teenage love I used to. But all I feel is hopeless. Get my mic on. I did not flip my mic on. Hang on, you guys. This is stuff that happens to me all the time. Let me make sure I'm on the right channel. There we go. Okay. All right. I try to draw Alex's gaze up to up to mine. But he is too busy inspecting the floor. I don't know why the kids have to leave their doggone shoes right behind the door all the time. He picks up he picks up two pair of sneakers and slings them into the cloak closet. Gets old. I'm not throwing in the towel this early. There we go. Just hang on. Give me a second here. Okay. The seconds, the seconds I used to live for. Maybe he's looking for that gooey. Oh, you know what? We read this already. That's what I mean. Sometimes it flips back. Okay. Okay. He acts so nasty, he's afraid him and he's unhappy, and has failed at love. God knows he doesn't know what to do with fear except unleashed full-scale war. Tap that screen if you like what you hear, you guys. I take Alex in my arms, brushing my cheek against his, wanting a kiss, 
but the pick he places on my forehead will have to suffice. I took off today since you are all off. Hope I can get some work out of the boys, he says. Breakfast is done, I say, removing the eggs. And Joanne, the school counselor, called me. She saw the news this morning. It shows you on the, it showed, it shows you on the scene at Mud Lake. Why am I having so much trouble switching pages? So, Alex says, let me finish, I say. Hank is Zoe Clemens. Grandpa. Zoe's in 10th grade. Joanne reminded me, let's see if we're going to have to skip over this, that Zoe moved in with Hank when her mom and dad were killed in that bad wreck on Dead Man's Curve a few years ago. I figure, I figure you already know her since she was living with him. Anyway, because Zoe's, Because Zoe has a problem with drugs, Joanne wondered if there could be a connection to Hank's death. Like I said, I'm trying to do this delicately around this stuff. I step into the living room where Alex has switched the TV on and me off. Did you hear what I said? I know her. Oh, so you did hear me. Why didn't you answer me? When's breakfast going to be ready? I place a plate full of eggs and bacon on the end table. Orange juice, I say. Stepping in front of him, blocking his view of two and a half men, and thinking Charlie Harper is the male version of Carrie Bradshaw, and a show with them both would be cool. What? He looks at me like I'm a commercial for tampons during the Super Bowl. Nothing. I sit and shove some eggs in my mouth. He's doing it again. Hmm. I'm sick of feeling like an intrusion on the man who is supposed to want to share his life with me. But I get nauseous just thinking about the life. I don't know why it's doing this today. Okay. I would have without him. At least with Alex, I know what to expect. Arguments, infidelity, plenty of food in the fridge, not a good day, and I love you. My life could have been worse, I suppose. Like he could be a deadbeat, not work, not provide for his family. We could live in a roach-infested apartment or in another country with no safe drinking water. Alex looks at the plate in front of him. I didn't know it was ready. Why didn't you tell me? My gaze remains fixed on the boob tube. There's more chance of Charlie Sheen hearing me from his Malibu Terrace than Alex from a foot away. By the time I get the dishwasher loaded, Alex is straddling the riding mower, donning his bib overalls and floppy hat with Mickey, with Mickey Mouse square on the front. Not his usual attire, but Disney World was hot the day he, he bought the hat, and he made an exception to his just grin and bear it attitude. Now, again, okay. Now he can't mow grass without it. For this family, the Mickey hat is a symbol of grass cutting season. The smell of freshly mown, mowed grass reminds me of bending over Ryan's picnic table. At the park, okay? I close my eyes, okay? Until then, I'll ignore the urge to repeat my destructive patterns within. I don't need a man anyway. God graciously gave me two hands. Wow, I'm not going to go there. I finished the silent petition just in time. Round two of breakfast is descending the stairs. I plop bread in the toaster and Ryan out of my mind. Morning, stinker butt. Eggs in the pan. I say, tickling the back of Bren's neck. Is Isaac's up? Your dad wants, wants some help changing the oil in the car later. Yeah, but I doubt he will help, Ben says. Alex slings the door open. I need some help out here. You ready, Ben? Ben holds his plate out for the toast. I'm buttering. I'm eating. Mom said you need help later. Everything's always later around here, Alex whips. Rips off a dozen paper towels and swipes his sweaty head. 
I need help with the mower. The gear's sticking. Hope Isaac can help because Cole and I ju- are, are just chilling today, Ben says, pouring orange juice in the glass. When do I get to chill? Alex grabs the door handle. Every time I need something, everyone's too busy. I got to get a new tire on the car, too. Dang, fix a flat didn't work. Thank you. Thank you for the hearts. Ben Pat presses his lips together and puffs off out his cheeks, maybe hoping that by doing so, he won't say something to make his dad madder. Adding a bite of bacon to his mouth seems to do the trick, and Alex whips, whips out the door and onto the mower. Ben, just check with me later to see if he still needs help. I say heading upstairs, and I'll get Isaac motivated to help too, okay? I knock on Ben's door and twist the brass knob. That gone thing always sticks, I mutter, jiggling it till the door opens. Isaac pulls the blue comforter over his head when I flip on the light. Hey, bud, can you help your dad change the oil? Here in about an hour, he's mowing grass. I have to run to Walmart to get the oil first, so you'll have time to get your belly full first. Sound good? Uh, I guess, he mumbles and rolls over. Okay, then, great. Thanks. Check. I slap some foundation on my face, a ponytail, and a ball cap on my head, and I'm out the door. I grab the oil at Walmart and step up behind a woman with a skirt to her ankles and hair piled high on her head that hasn't been cut or styled in a month of Sundays. She must be a holiness nut like Mom. I want to be holy, but I don't want to look like some hag to do it. Surely there's a place in the middle of the extremes where God exists. God created beauty in nature, the skies and the flowers. He must love beautiful people as much as the ones who make their features bland like, like they are ashamed to be attractive. I glance at the front of the line and stop inhaling the oxygen I need. Joe is at the register. Oh, God. I can't stay in this line and take the chance he'll propose another hookup. I don't want to be rude, but I don't want to think he spotted me, so I slide into the longer line to my left and scurry out the door without looking back at my Adonis who's packing plastic bags. When I get home, I hear Alex's booming voice trailing from behind the garage. All I ask is for you to help me for a minute. I slow my stride, wanting to know which kids he's talking to when Isaac shoots around the corner of the garage, eyes full of tears. You told me an hour, right, Mom? Dad's yelling at me because I wasn't out here soon enough. I try to talk and realize I'm holding my breath. I don't know why I keep holding it, unless I think that if I don't breathe, then I'll not really be here. Yes, honey, I did say an hour. I wrap my arms around my baby's rigid shoulders. Sorry, I'll talk to your dad. Just go on in the house and calm down. I shuffle to the garage where my car is jacked up around my baby's rich. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Dingy, where my car is jacked up. Dingy, white tennis shoes with paint and oil stains are protruding from under the Buick. Alex slides out in faded bibs, his eyes oozing disgust that penetrates my resolve to be collected. Your boy. He's not worth a nickel, he says. My wits swim for a peaceful response. Okay, listen. I told him you needed help in about an hour because you had to finish mowing and I had to go to. I couldn't get the mower working. So I couldn't finish the grass. Okay? Alex sells ring, Alex's cell rings and he swipes the screen. Darn it, it's Stranahan. I sit the bags of oil on concrete. Guess part of my life's mission is to be the peacekeeper. To be smack dab in the middle where I always am. In the middle. If you like what you're hearing, tap that screen, tap that screen, double tap that screen. When Alex slides his cell back in his pocket, I say, I'm sorry, the mower's broken. But how was I supposed to know that? It's not Isaac's fault, and it's definitely not mine. 
You don't need to take it out on us. You still need help? Never mind. Easier to do it myself, he says, disappearing with a push of his foot. I'm shaking as I wander toward the house. Why can't Alex just be reasonable? I know this whole situation isn't my fault, but I feel like I've done something wrong. I try to understand everyone's point of view and why they feel how they feel. Sometimes I will the finesse to convince the boys and, and Alex to consider others' feelings. But today, my efforts failed. My cell vibrates with a call from Ryan, but I ignore it and walk inside to find Isaac. My boys must take precedence over my booty call. <laughs> Isaac is on the couch watching his favorite cartoon, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I tiptoe across the hardwood floor to my recliner. Your dad's aggravated because the mower broke. He just gets like that sometimes, you know. Isaac's face is red. He's been crying. I know you like to help, and I know you're a hard worker. You can wash my car this week, and I'll pay you, okay? Sure, Mom, I'll wash it. Dad just makes me so mad. I don't understand him sometimes either, babe, but he loves you. The boys are in their critical years of learning what it means to be a man in this world, what it means to be a father, and I don't want them treating the women in their lives like Alex does me. I get my journal and hoping to smooth away this morning's roughness, scoot in beside my Isaac. As I, as I kept silent company with him, I write about our guy in black. I hide my journal under the phone book and head to the laundry room, the perfect hideout, to call Ryan covertly. I throw towels in the dryer for the noise. Hey, what you into, I ask, doubting he's been dealing with the crap I have. I'm at Natalie's soccer game. She wants to switch days with her mom. So that means that I'll have her tonight, but tomorrow night I'm free. You want to hook up? I um I have a work thing. I say leaning against the warm dryer, not believing I'm actually declining. Maybe later in the week. Hope so. Okay. I'll take that as a compliment, I say with a smile in my voice and not in my throat. Way to go. Natalie just got a goal. Talk to you later. I slump into a pile of laundry and into a ball. I stopped seeing Ryan over a year ago when his text became brief with no feelings of urgency to see me. But now that I've regained his attention, I realize I'm jealous of the girlfriend that he's parading around in public. I'm just, I'm just jealous. A commotion bid, bids me to the kitchen. Ben is high-fiving Cole, who says he's ready to max out. on the bench today. As they rush out to pump iron, I tell Isaac, who's still brooding on the couch, to round up a neighbor boy and find a tree to climb. The porch draws me outside like a hummingbird drawn to red sugary drink that dangles from it. Seems I'm usually sweeping the porch rather than sitting on it, but today I plop in the Andirondack, guilt from my last romp with Ryan swelling inside me, begging to be released. I gorge on memories of Ryan's touch. I'd like to scrub my mind to wash away the innocuous mixture of sensations, desires, and deceit. But the misery and the pleasure is a paragon I can't seem to part with. A horn hawks me back to the moment. Mandy pulls in the drive and, with arms open wide, runs full throttle toward me, teetering on her heels through the grass, her pink blouse flapping. Oh, girlfriend, she says, hugging me. She pulls back and braces both, arms, both my arms like she's propping up a bowling pin. Dear Lord, you look tired, Tav. Have you been sleeping? With a wink. She glances around the porch. Other than with Ryan. 
Don't worry, Alex is piddling in the garage. God, it's good to see you, I say, nodding toward a chair. It'll be nice to confide in the one friend I have who, I'm pretty darn sure, hasn't slept with my husband. Mandy, I swear, weird things are going on here. God not, God not only told me a demon's throwing the water in my house. Ben's acquired this uncanny ability to perceive things impossible to know. Isaac saw a darn mermaid and floating eyeballs last night. Or someone. Or something dressed in black slashed my car tire. Oh, almost forgot. I also saw a demon in my mirror. That's what really kick-started this party. What? Oh, my word, she says in her best squeaky soprano. I need a drink already. She hops up and tosses her handbag over her shoulder. Let's go have our, our Poseidon adventure, girl. Yep, I say pushing out of the chair. You got you got here just in time. A day later and you might have missed it. The priest is coming tomorrow, and hopefully giving it the boot. I follow her inside as she oozes and awes on a self-guided tour through the living room, past the foggy windows, plastic-covered dining table, and water-stained walls, bare of the usual paintings. I move a basket of fresh towels from the bar to the floor, and sit a basket of chocolates in its place. Coffee will have to do. I don't keep alcohol, I say, shaking a dash of cinnamon into my mug. Man, I feel old. We used to drink 70 proof. Not medium roast. Mandy recounts the story of her favorite outing when I got drunk at a club, puked on the table, and looking up from my drunken stupor, announced to the waiter who threatened to call the cops for my disorderly contact. We are the police. Classic. But I'm not the tabletop girl anymore. Not dancing on them, not puking on them, bending over one maybe, but I'm working on stopping that. Not one splinter today. As I'm filling her cup, as I'm filling her in on my haunted house and how I had to leave it last week to avoid Barbara. Okay. Ben bounds into the kitchen, wearing a red t-shirt with the sleeves cut out, and grabs a protein drink. Hey, Mandy, he says, flicking his bicep our way. I'm benching 200. You're going to be a Hulk just like your daddy. Mandy pops, Mandy pops her biceps back at him and says, I can still take you. Isaac and Timmy, bearing BB guns, zip past Ben and out the door, not even noticing we have a guest. Ben, the little flirt, strikes a bodybuilder pose with his chest puffed out. Belly sunk in and backs toward the door before blowing a kiss to Mandy. As soon as he pulls the door shut, Water shoots from the ceiling above the refrigerator to where Mandy and I are sitting. Mandy grabs the table. What the hell? I take a sip of my coffee while water drips on my head. Savvy, good God almighty, if I hadn't been here to see this for myself, I wouldn't have believed it. Mandy throws a towel from the basket onto the floor and stomps on it with her foot while I, while I nap him off my forehead. Sav, I mean, I would have believed you. You, you know I would just seems impossible. I'm actually scared. I mean, that had some power behind it. Maybe it is Poseidon. Yep, it's more surreal than Salvador Dali's depiction of time melting. But no one's been hurt, though. There's a knock at the door, and Mandy cowers like she's going to get sprayed. I laugh and clasp her hands as I head to the door. You are spooked, aren't you? Joanne's peering through the glass, and I open the door. She just called me this morning about Hank's relation to Zoe. What could she possibly want? Joanne spots Mandy and says, oh, I'm sorry. Didn't know you had company. Come on in, I say. You know Mandy. She's, she's here visiting her folks. Would you like some coffee? Oh, of course, Mandy. Hello. No thanks on the coffee. I won't stay long, Joanne says. 
stepping inside. What's up, I say. I'm sure you know everybody's talking about your ghost. I just thought I'd stop and, oh well, Mandy's here for a tour too, so you're right on time. We haven't been upstairs yet, I say, with a wave of my hand. Follow me, my pretties. As soon as Joanne's foot lands on the second floor water, as soon as sorry about that. As soon as Joanne's foot lands on the second floor, water literally forms in midair from a place invisible to the human eye and beats across the hallway ceiling to the bathroom door. Oh, Joanne screams and leans against the wall. Both hands crossed over a collarbone. I stopped dead in my tracks. I know where it came from. The air. I cast a look at Mandy, who looks like Lot's wife, who has just turned into salt. I look back toward the space where I just saw the water form. And I stare, as if just focusing will make it manifest again. You guys see that? I say, holding my gaze. Oh my, Savannah, Joanne says. Sure did. How? Heck if I know, Maddie says, swooping her arms through the air until her hands meet, then extending them toward the ceiling. It was like an invisible water balloon crashed into the ceiling. I strum my fingers on my head, trying to convince myself I'm actually conscious. That's the first time I actually saw where it's coming from, I say. We thought it was coming from the ceiling. Hell, it's coming from the air. The air. Joanne mumbles something about needing to get going and gropes the handrail on her quickly set that leads into the kitchen and out the door in what seemed like one long stride. With Joanne gone, Manny and I plop on the couch. Savvy, Manny says. If the priest gig doesn't work, there's a lady I know who might be able to help you. I've been going to her for a few, mo- for a few months for energy work, but I just found out yesterday that she clears houses too. What do you mean energy work, I ask? She's a spiritual healer. She lays her hands on me and balances my chakras. Chakras are, I know this one, wheels of energy. I've been reading about them, I say, realizing I just interrupted her like Alex says me. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. Her name is Jen, and she's sort of a spiritual counselor. What's she counseling you about? I search my dear friend's face for signs. I've intruded with a question, but she doesn't hesitate to answer. Jen's helping me to heal from the abuse Frank dealt out. She's teaching me to speak up and live by my truth without fear. Maddie's ex-husband would lock her in the master bed bath all night for not having his shirts pressed to his satisfaction. And he'd do other things during his drunken rages. But it took a but it took a tumble down the stairs, and the resulting and the results from that to have her courage to leave give her courage to leave him. I hope I don't need that degree of encouragement to leave Alex. That is, if I leave. Sounds like I need to see her even if Father can get this spirit to leave. Maybe this Jen can help me with my relationship with Alex, I say. Where's her office? Jen's about an hour away in Bloomingdale, and she can help you with just about anything. Check out her website, Maddie says, clicking away on her cell. I'm texting you her name and website. Let me know what your holy man says tomorrow, Maddie says, heading for the door. I hug Maddie goodbye and settle into my living room chair, watching Timmy and Isaac in the backyard, pinging the cardboard target with each shot of the BB gun. Sav, Alex says, the scent of cologne trailing behind him as he walks through the living room. I'm going to the office to finish up some paperwork. Probably be about an hour. Okay, I say, wondering where he's going, wondering who he's going to see. The refrigerator door opens and shuts, and he is gone, leaving me alone with my thoughts. Thoughts of how I can expand my world to include the love I want. Manny says Jen can help me live my truth. Truth. 
I don't even know what that is. But if Jen can tap me into it, then I'm willing to let her lay her hands on me, even if the idea of it makes me queasy. Okay, we just jammed up. Hang on, guys. Oh, this is not the first time this has happened. Oh, this is not going to be a good day, is it? Okay, there we go. The Lang. I don't even know what... Okay, let me get that in. I just saw it, and let's bring it back up. Okay. Okay. Of how I can explain to include the love I want, man. He says on truth. Okay, truth. Laying on the hand. See, we're stuck right here. Hang on, guys. I hate when this happens. It happened last week, too, so let me... There we go. Okay, can we do this? I see it right here. Oh, okay. Come on. Why are we stuck? Move this way. Come on. Okay, so hang on. <sighs> hang on. I have to get going and it got stuck, so I have to get back. Yeah, hang on. Sorry about this, you guys. I'm trying to it um jumped on me. <sighs> Sorry about this. I didn't know where we're at. I can't I can't get you back to where we were. Yeah, see we're okay. I'm almost we must be good close. I'm almost here. Hang on. I'm sorry it jumped on me and I had to readjust it because it was stuck. Okay. Just bear with me for a second. She also has a lot of these things are really long. Oh man. Okay, hang on. Don't go anywhere, guys. I'm trying to figure out where the hell this goes here. It should be up here. Let's see. Okay, we're close. I'm getting closer. Let's see. Okay. Okay, on one of the hands, okay, we're going to do this. Reminds me of the evangelical church of my youth, specifically the night that the preacher's daughter accused her dad of having an affair with my mom. She called mom a name. I screamed, and the entire congregation encircled me, placing their hands virtually everywhere. My head, shoulders, knees, and prayed, some in tongues, for God's peace to soothe my disturbed soul. I suppose it's conceivable that touch can have an effect. Jesus demonstrated his healing touch a number of times. From the lady who touched his robe and stopped bleeding to the leper whose sores instantly disappeared. Jesus rewarded those who believed. Maybe if I believed that much, I too would be healed. I click on my laptop. I want to know the sort of credentials this gin has before I let her hands rewire my energy fields. Her bio says she's a homopathic doctor who graduated magna cum laude. She's in her home office wearing a white lab coat. Vials of liquid remedies lie in the shelves behind her. Looks professional. Pretty harmless. Grandpa Happy was the electrician. Wired his entire three-story house. And the basement made this... What the heck? Why is this jumping? Okay. It jumps. Sorry. Grandpa Happy was the electrician. Wired his entire three-story house. In the basement, mazes of wires intermingle, forming a web so expansive the wooden rafters could barely be seen. The concept of how electricity was transported through those wires, converging in a usable form in the outlet that allowed me to dry my hair, was elusive to me, yet plausible. 
It's difficult to imagine that another person could adjust my energy field. Oh, I see where it went. Okay. Wires are visible. Wires are tangible. But my energy seems to pulse with a current from a God I can't see. So where does Jen get an instruction manual on manipulating energy? A scroll from the Mayans? A study of stone gen? Meridian lines? I guess she's worth a try. Right now, I'd enter a sweat tent and let the shaman chant over me if that's what it took to clear my head and help me find my path. So punch her number. So I punch her number into my phone. Jen answers her voice, raspy with a slight southern drawl. I tell her I'd like to make an appointment. That Mandy recommends I see her. Jen tells me I need to come for two consecutive appointments and have what's called a reconnection. I'm not sure what I'm disconnected from or how she's going to hook me back up but I can't keep trying to chase the bees in my life back into their hives. It's not working. I keep getting stung, so I schedule my first appointment for Friday after school and Saturday morning. Now, this new venture of mine will remain a secret from my pragmatic husband. He would have me committed if he knew I'm seeing an energy healer. Besides, it's no more imperative a secret than the others I'm keeping. A few appointments with a spirited guru should be easy to pull off without him knowing. I'm on the run so much. Alex doesn't know where I am most of the time anyway. And as far as the 333 bucks it costs for this reconnection, it'll be worth my handbag allowance for the month if it can connect me to happiness. By the time the pop of the BB gun fire ceases, Alex is back and settled at the bar with his laptop. Ben stomps in asking when dinner will be ready. I pull my standard 20 minutes. Get a snack to tide you over. Having no idea what's, what, what was going inside, doesn't stop me from confidently pushing the oven's bake button to 425. That should expedite the process a bit. I reach for a stoneware baking dish. With stoneware, you practically can't burn anything, if you, even if you try. Foil over frozen chicken breasts. Baked beans in a pan. Cinnamon sprinkles on applesauce. And viola. The only color missing is green, and I can live with that. I'm enjoying the quietly amusing silence when a blue thunderbird pulls into the back, and an elderly lady takes out. Bracing myself against the garage, she limps towards the side door. This one's got to be for Alex. Honey, I say, there's a woman at the door for you. I'm not making up an excuse for him like I usually do, even, even though I'm elbow deep in dishwater. I pull open the door to this 60-year-old woman who is wobbling up the steps. She grabs the door frame and looks through the kitchen at Alex, who's in plain view. Hi, I say, stepping aside. Alex will be right out. Alex slides off the stool with a huff. Can I help you, ma'am? Yes, oh please, Mr. Templeton. My boy, well, you know him, Bobby Barber. Well, he broke into my house, took my money, my medicine, everything. The lady teeters and Alex grabs her arm. Okay, let's get you down here while it's flat. Where it's flat. He says, escorting her down the steps to level ground. I shut the door, wander toward Alex's computer, and notice a Yahoo email account is open. My chest is heaving, but I have to take a peek. I click on it and find what must be hundreds of messages from Stacy. Speed reading through several of them, I glimpse, let's see, I glimpse at one, I glimpsed an Alex I didn't know existed, I see. He seems to care how she feels, jokes with her, he's frisky, even charming, says he wants to nuzzle her neck and get together with her. Good grief, if I so much as ask him, to, if I so much as ask him to nuzzle with me, he tells me that I'm disgusting. He's the one who's disgusting, living a, as big a lie as I am. The messages fade into each other as I read one after the other about their relationship 
and how they anticipate their next role-playing adventure, and how their spouses are inattentive and inconsiderate. Several minutes passed before I remembered that Alex could walk in any moment. I run upstairs. I have to think, to write, to pray. I just get my journal open when Isaac bursts through the door in my bedroom, grabs my arm, and pulls me to his room. Mom, I saw an, I saw an elf, Isaac says. I just stand, staring at him. Like Santa has, I say. You know, an elf. He straightens his hand and brings it hip level. He was this tall. Okay, sweetie. It's just too, t it's too tiny to hurt you, I say, con commending myself on the snappy comeback. I'm getting damn good at this job as Border Patrol between two worlds. You can watch TV in the basement with Ben. I say, walking toward my room. I'm going to lie down. I got a headache. Ten minutes later, I decide my headache will go away if I get out of the house for, if I get out of the house for a bit. So I grab my keys, tell Alex dinner's in the oven, and head to the Mudsock Library. I'm at the front desk checking out a book from Oprah's list that I've wanted to read since hearing the preacher on TV talk about the power of our thoughts. But I noticed finally she's on jaw, arched over a laptop. Got a nook in the back. The biceps are beefy. They look nice framing. They, they, they look nice. Okay. He looks up and catches me gawking. It's Logan from church. An awkward recognition prompts me to nod. I accept the library card the clerk is handing back to me. I have to go over and speak to him. It would be rude not to. This is a public place. Plenty of people around. I'm not doing anything wrong. Just going to be friendly. I tuck my newly rented position, the secret, under my arm. Don't want him to think I'm into some sort of occultism. As I advance toward him, Logan's cool blue eyes greet me, his wavy brown hair partially concealing one of them. The tight green t-shirt complements his dusting of a tan and showcases his ripped abs. He calls up before I reach his table. Hey, Savvy, how you been? I clasp my newest breed closer to my chest. Busy, but I did make it to church Sunday. Didn't, didn't see you there. I say, dipping my chin playfully toward my shoulder. I can tell that having platonic conversations with men is going to be a challenge for me. But surely I can figure out how to talk to a good-looking guy without an undercurrent of sex dominating my every thought. I just wasn't up to it, Logan says, flipping, the open, flipping his open book cover on the table and leaning back. Heard you have some sort of spirit in your house. That true? Perfect. This topic will help me stay focused on God. I pull up a chair, joining him at the table that sits for. I, well, I had a revelation that there is. We have water spraying all over the house and can't figure out where it's coming from. Logan's forehead is wrinkled with awe. His eyes are focused intently on my lips, and I find it difficult to concentrate. Wow, is it still there? Father Nick's coming to bless the house in the morning. You called a priest? What did Pastor Todd say? I chuckle. He advised me to call a priest. Logan's Adam's apple rises and falls with his laugh. Truly amazing story you have, he says. There's so much we don't understand, like this book I'm reading. He taps the hardcover. I know angels were here to protect us, but I didn't know they made phone calls and arranged clandestine meetings. The emerald cover of his book looks familiar. I lean over, reading the title aloud, Angels on Assignment. Oh, I read that. I caress the embossed letters. I was amazed to learn they have specific duties. I'm usually reading at least three books at a time. Can't stay focused on just one, but I did that one. Logan's nodding, his bangs flopping against his, his temple. I restrain my urge to brush them from his forehead. I remind myself I'm not doing anything wrong. A conversation in public about angels is not sinful. I'll ask about his wife, keeping things on the up and up. Did Carrie get her dad's estate finished? 
Logan's, Logan's gaze goes to the window. He seems to be trying to read the title of a book in the library a stayed away. She moved out a month ago. She's been different since her dad died. Says life's too short to be miserable. I fold my hands and rely on Logan's book. I'm so sorry, Logan. He places his warm hand on mine. It's okay. Things between us have been bad for quite some time now. His voice is smooth, velvety. I imagine him whispering sweet things into my ear, his warm breath on my neck. I need to stop this now. I feel like I'm nearing the top of a hill on a roller coaster. As soon as I reach the pinnacle, I'm heading straight down to the Hellfire and Brimstone Aquarium, the one I keep hearing about from Pastor Todd, who must be petrified of it himself. If he wasn't, would have at least come to my house and said a prayer. He would have at least, yeah, come to my house. I'm certain that God exists and hears our prayers, I say, standing. Logan rises as well. I guess next time I see you, we'll be at Luce's wedding, he says. Luce's wedding? Oh, I say, so you're going? He winks at me. I hope so. I'm a groomsman. Been friends with Jack since high school. Luce probably told me. I say, knowing that. If she had, I would have remembered that nugget. But between my house and the threats from a madman, I've been a little preoccupied. I lean on the chair and make a sideways funny face. Logan crosses his eyes. Yeah, not everyone has the caliber of excuses you do. Ah, uh, did you say a madman threatened you? Yeah, a criminal. A criminal Alex had arrested numerous times, had it out for him, threatened to harm me and the boys, even had pictures of us. Wow, I bet Alex was mad. You get him? Oh, yeah, but he's out already. Are you facing just, just judicial system for you, I say? So the wedding, then. I'm the matron of honor. Guess that means you get out of escorting me down the aisle. Logan cups his hand around my tricep. I can think of worse duties than having you lean on my arm. Oh, good Lord. If I didn't leave now, well, yeah. So, uh, I got out of there. I glance at my watch. Gotta run. Nice seeing you. Hey, I know you like to read, Logan says. Book club meets here every Wednesday at 6. Next one's tomorrow night. Maybe you can come? Maybe, I say, clutching the book. That I can help me attract some, I hope can help me attract some balance in my life. Chapter 18. Hey, if you guys like what you hear, please double tap the screen. Please double tap the screen. Show me some love. Show me some hearts. If you like what you hear from this book, same thing for Facebook and uh, and uh, YouTube. Um, you know, send me some thumbs up and hearts and smileys and things like that. Uh, yeah. So if you if you like what you hear, keep showing me hearts. Keep keep tapping the screen. Keep tapping the screen. We do this every Sunday. And uh, here we go. Blue Goose Pond Blues. For you guys on TikTok, keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. I'm trying to reach a, a goal of, of 5,000 hearts. 5,000 hearts. I'm back home eating the last chicken breast left in the pan when Alex announces we're going fishing. I grab my favorite fishing necessity, my book, and climb into the truck with my man crew. Blue Goose Pond is my preferred fishing place because it's calm. But Alex drives to the Ridgeland Levee. We pack the chairs, poles, and tackle boxes to the dock where I saved the drowning girl, Maddie. I, I, read, I read while the boys fish. The secret, the secret is as esoteric as the title implies and holds my attention for several chapters before I take a break and watch the river traffic. It's too early in the spring for skiers, but a few pontoon boats are out. Isaac snags his line before Ben has his hook baited. A few minutes later, Ben makes the first catch and Alex announces the competition is on. My men talk about baseball team picks and athletes that I've never heard of about and about the best location behind Keegan's to place a tree stand for hunting season this fall and why Smith & Wesson makes the best quality gun on the market. 
I soak in the banter. We do love each other. Sometimes, though, love isn't enough. And as much as I wish I could make this moment last forever, I know I can't. Waves from a coal barge lap the shore, and the mew from the misplaced seagulls distracts me from the soaking in the good vibes of this family time. I feel sorry for the seagulls having to spend their lives flapping above the river instead of gliding above the exquisite ocean. All probably due to a storm blowing them, of course. If they were migratory birds, they could navigate to the pristine Atlantic where they belong, but they're stuck here like me because they can't find their way home. I know where my house is, but my house remains elusive. It's not just the water and weird stuff that makes me feel out of place. I used to think home was anywhere Alex was, but now I know his presence only rarely fits me like a glove. Once I would have moved to the other side of the world to be with him, but now I know I'm growing out of him just like I grew out of my genes when I was pregnant. I feel like I'm going to give birth to something, but I'm not quite sure what. The full moon is visible even as the sun is setting. I collapse further into the cloth chair while the sun sinks into the red horizon, feeling infinitesimal in this expansive universe. If I could just if I could just see me from Pluto, I would appear smaller than a grain of sand does to me. Yet I feel larger than the universe and connected to a source of power with no identifiable origin. Maybe I am home just being on Earth. I remember how close the moon appeared when we arrived at Hilton Head Island at 3 a.m. last summer. The sky void of a single light, other than the full moon, that hung low like a crystal ball ready for my hands to wrap around. Had I been able to read the moon and had it foretold the mysterious events of the past weeks, I wouldn't have believed my oracle in the sky. I remember how much I had wanted Alex to kiss me under that magnificent moon, but when I slid my hand into his and stood on tiptoe for one, he just looked down and said, Do you have to force it? Then I let my heels sink into the wet sand, and my hopes for romance with Alex float out with the tide. I bet he wouldn't have needed prodding to kiss the textbook queen. Maybe a vacation could help me relax and reconnect with Alex. Mom had escumbed it away with the preacher by the time I turned 12, and I can't recall a single vacation that Mom, Dad, Luce, and me took as a family. I only remember a few church picnics where Mom was probably even then pressed between the preacher and an old oak tree. But my boys will have a broader perception of the world than I did, even if it's only as deep as the Grand Canyon. That's broader than most of the students I work with many of whom haven't ventured further than the county line and don't realize that Mudsock Heights is in Ohio, not West Virginia. Alex drags his chair close to mine, giving Isaac the task of watching his bop. Breathing in the cool April air, I touch Alex's hand with my fingertips. Remember how gorgeous the moon was when we got to Hilton Head last year? And we could see Jupiter? It took my breath. Alex inches his hand out from under mine and pulls a can of sweet tea from the cooler. That's your home planet, isn't it? Ha ha, I say. Mine's Venus. Haven't you heard? He's not spoiling my serene mood. Alex sips his tea, seemingly oblivious to my illusion. I prompt him. The book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I don't know about you, Savvy, Alex says, shaking his head. Your head's always in the clouds. Maybe so, but at least I'm a literate cloud hopper. He probably feels stupid. Maybe he hasn't heard of the book. I wish I could mention a nice memory with Alex saying something without Alex saying something crass. I bet Logan's heard of the book, probably even read it. I stare at the water where I first saw the angel girl's hair and imagine out Logan's hand on mine atop the library table. I stare until the image of Logan disappears. 
I have to stay focused on this moment with my family. The only moment I'm guaranteed to ever have. How about Maine for vacation this year, I ask? Kennebec Valley for a moose expedition or Tennessee with a pontoon and a cabin? Just as I hear calliope music signaling the arrival of the Mississippi Queen, Ben belts out, Mom, the sternwheeler. Alex spits sunflower seeds out of his mouth. Stop yelling. Try to fish, trying to fish here. I wrinkle my nose and nod to Ben as I aim as, as, as I aim my sail toward the river, capturing the passing ship with people on board waving like dandelions in the breeze. As the familiar music drifts ashore, I'm taken back to childhood. Grandpa Happy is pulling out his Polaroid one-shot and yelling, Who's going? He grabs his keys from the hook and scampers out the door to a, to a car full of whichever neighborhood kids happen to be visiting. Grandpa Happy never missed snapping a picture of the grand vessel, no matter that he already had hundreds. Since the boys were toddlers, I'd pack them with me on a dead run to the river. On the way, I'd describe how I'd inherited Grandpa's infatuation with, for the Iron Giant playing the unique jingle. I watched the front story, I watched the four-story high party ship pass. It's more than a floating hotel. It's an American icon that looks like it floated out of a Mark Twain novel. The movement makes me feel unstuck. As I watch the contraption carrying souls from one place to another, I daydream of foreign lands flooded with people and creatures I've never met. You're going to have to let me know when to put in for a vacation, Alex says. Got to do it soon. Gilmer's already scheduled his for the last week in June. I thought we'd decide on the destination first, I say, watching the boys who prop their poles and gravitate towards the cooler. Remember when we went to Key West and the hotel clerk told us not to throw rocks at the roosters, Ben says, mouthful of, with a mouthful of little Debbie cake? I thought, he was on, I thought he was on crack. How could I forget that, I say. It was four in the morning and thought I was just tired and delusional until you looked at me and whispered, did she just say rooster? Why'd she tell you that, Isaac asked. Roosters are endangered in Key West, Alex says. Yes, your mother was so busy thinking about roosters that she forgot to get her credit card back from the clerk when she checked in. He kept it and attempted to order a few thousand dollars for the clothes, clothes online. I kind of remember that, Isaac says, staring at Alex. Did he get in trouble? The clerk's shift was over by the time we found out, but we filed a report, and the police officer went to his apartment to question him. The guy wasn't home. But get this. While the officer's still at the dude's apartment, he gets a call from another policeman needing to help with the DUI. Alex motions toward Isaac's disappearing bobber. Guess who the DUI was? Yep, the same dude, Ben says. Crazy stuff like that happens all the time. Isaac, Alex says, standing and pointing at the water. Yes, Ben, we attract crazy, I say. Before we got to the Keys, your dad ripped, ripped the muscle racing, racing Isaac on the beach. Isaac pulls on gloves and slides the hook out of the catfish. Last time I caught a catfish was on the Dot River. Where, I ask? Where we stayed, on the Hatfield-McCoy Trail, Isaac says, posing a smile less with, less with fish while I snap a picture. You mean the Grand Dot River, I say? Were you rafted down in the pitch dark after running off with strangers from the cabin next door? That was a blast, he grins, and I capture the rare expression. Well, it's not a Templeton vacation without excitement, I say, knowing there's no wacky adventure that could possibly top the freak show going on in our house and hoping it packs up and heads to the next county fair when Father Nick comes tomorrow. At home, I'm sound asleep when I'm suddenly being awake, shaken awake. I roll over, shielding my eyes from the overhead light and hear Alex saying, Wet towels, hardwood. Huh? I, hmm? I say, shaking my head, trying to comprehend what's going on. What's wrong? Why are there wet towels on the floor in the bathroom? 
Guess the kids were sopping up water from somewhere, I say. Or at least I think I say. I guess I didn't actually speak the words because I felt a hand on my shoulder. My whole entire body jarred. I smacked the hand away and sit up. What? Wish you'd keep the place picked up. You were off today and it's still a mess. You're here more than me. And it'd be nice if you do something besides read. Did you have to wake me up just to yell at me, I say? I'm not yelling, he yells, flipping off the light. I close my eyes and imagine I'm with Huck on the river. It's so quiet. All I can hear are all I can hear are, are, are the cicadas and the fish splashing here and there. A breeze rustles the trees as the sun shines down. I feel the churning current as the water swallows me whole. Chapter 19. Okay, so if you guys like what you hear over there on TikTok, let me know. Show me some love. Hit those hearts. Double tap that screen. Double tap that screen. If you feel it in your heart to help me with some corgis, that'd be great too. I'm trying to make the bills like everybody else. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, give me some thumbs up and some hearts. Show me some love, you guys. Show me some love. Chapter 19, Jolly Father Nick. Now, since we're starting this chapter, we've got, what, 15 minutes left? We'll see if we can get through it. I'm going to try and finish the chapter. So we might go a little longer than an hour today, okay? Just an FYI, everybody. The aroma of hazelnut coffee wafts to my bedroom, enticing me to dress quicker. Wish I had Dad's punctuality, Gene. I join him downstairs, relishing the thought of a bicker-free breakfast since Alex left for work hours ago. Morning, Dad, I say, tucking my arm under his. They look scrumptious. I snag a raspberry-filled donut from the variety pack he's placed on the counter. Should be an interesting morning. Dad's spoon clinks on his mug as he stirs in creamer. Excitement follows you, my dear. Always has. When you were still in diapers, you ran around the house like a leprechaun looking for that pot of gold. Still looking, I say, smiling and propping my elbows on the counter. Only now, I know peace is the only gold I need. I trade it for all the coins in my pot and, and for a taste of it. Dad strokes my head with his free hand. There's a reason and a season for everything, my dear. Your season of peace has to be next on your wheel of fortune. The boys pile down wearing their jammies and chomp into chocolate cream-filled bliss before attempting to teach Dad to manipulate the Xbox controls so he can make a touchdown on Madden. I hear the gravel crunching in the driveway and peek out the kitchen door to see a hefty man reaching across the front seat of an older model Chevy sedan. Boys, get your clothes on pronto, I say to the virtual football team sprawled out on the couch. I open the door as a man dressed in black from the tips of his shoes to the top of his head is preparing to wrap. He removes his black... Okay, he removes his black ivy cap. It took me a second. Revealing a shiny, smooth head with, with a nod, extends his hand. Like the, well, like the white color around his neck, an air of authority surrounds him. Hello, I say, stepping back to let him enter. It's nice to meet you, uh, father. I feel awkward. Haven't addressed anyone as father before, not even my dad. Alex is at work. He would have liked to have met you. Darn. Not three sentences in on line to a priest. This is my dad, Cal. I, this is my dad, Cal. I say his dad steps forward and claps our visitor's hand. A pleasure, Dad says. Releasing the handshake, Father smooths his long fingers over his bare head. We'll manage just fine without Alex. God doesn't need the help. Seems no-nonsense sort of fellow with a queer sense of humor. I like him already. Father graciously accepts coffee and a glazed pastry and plops into the recliner in the corner. So what's this about a spirit in your house? He says, looking toward my plastic-covered treasures. I see you have made good use of your table. Dad sits on the sofa opposite me and nods to me to do the honors of initiating our holy guest. 
It started over a week ago with one drop of water in the hall upstairs. Ever since then, it's been spraying all over the house. None of the repairmen, and we've had tons of them, can find a leak. So I was praying, to, and, and God told me it's a spirit. At first, we thought water was spraying out from the ceiling. But yesterday, I saw it splatter from the air, like an invisible water balloon. And Isaac's seen freaky things like a girl float through the room, handprints in his wall. Dad's eyes look like full moons over his coffee cup, and I realize I may have forgotten to share a few of the goblin tales with him. But I continue. A demon with horns, a floating eyeball, and a black figure Isaac says I, I walk through. Even our tires are being busted by a man dressed in black. Father Nick stops me with a wave of his hand. Tires? On your vehicles? After everything I've told him, he's asking about tires? Yes, tires. Oh, and every time Ben flushes the commode down here, I say pointing towards the half bath, water from it hits the ceiling like a gusher. I need to slow down and let Father process the details I'm lobbing at him, but my mind's in the last lap of the Kentucky Derby. No bridle can slow it down. I even saw a demon in my mirror. If that doesn't persuade him that there's evil in this house, I don't know what will. Father swallows hard on the donut and studies his long and studies his long fingers that are rubbing the leather arm of the recliner as if massaging it helps him understand our predicament. His face is stoic. Good. He's not dismissing the possibility of an evil presence. Sounds like you may have more than one visitor here. Like I told you on the phone, often a restless spirit is responsible for paranormal activity, like what you have described with the water. But these other apparitions, well, I haven't had experience with, you say, you say a floating eyeball? Father chuckles like Jolly St. Nick. That worse than seeing the whole creature? Exactly what I thought when Isaac told me, I say. We both have an odd sense of humor. Maybe it's a sign he's... He's, he's divinely appointed to liberate my house. What's the difference between a restless spirit and a ghost? There's not, Father says. They're both the manifestations of a dead person's spirit in the physical realm. The restless spirit or ghost refuses to transition to the afterlife. A house blessing instructing the person to move into light usually alleviates any further disturbances. Wow. That's just like the movie Poltergeist, I say. Father stands and brushes the crumbs from his round belly into the empty mug. In the house I grew up in, the whole family regularly heard chains dragging across the attic floor when no one was up there, he says, pulling a plastic bottle from his shirt pocket. He displays the bottle that's adorned with a gold Celtic cross, explaining that it contains holy water, which has been blessed by a superior, Monsignor somebody. We will start the blessing where the water first fell, Father says, tucking his worn Bible case under his arm. I lead the way upstairs, my entourage following. There's no getting around getting old. These are the first to go, Father says. The boys scamper from their bedrooms as Father's booming voice fills the stairwell. Nice-looking lads, Father says, extending his hand to Ben. Now, what's your name? Ben returns a heavy handshake. Benjamin, sir. Father looks like he's going to blow out a candle. Oh, looks and manners, I see. Good job, Mom. Father blinks and proves my way. And this young man is Isaac, I say. Isaac, inching closer to me and accepting Father's hand. Hello, Isaac. You're the one seeing apparitions? Isaac scrunches his eyebrows my way. An apparition is like a, like the handprint in the wall, I say. It's something you see that no one else does. Oh, yeah, Isaac says, nodding at Father. Dad points to the ceiling where the circular stain pattern is displayed. That's where the first drop came from. Father shakes his bald head, rubbing it like he's trying to, to bore his head into his hand. I see. Let's get this, this shindick started. He slides a printed copy of something out from between the pages of his Bible, unfolds it, and hands it to me, saying, You read where the R is. 
There's a script to this house blessing thing. Heck, I thought Father would sprinkle his water and say the magic words and himself, sort of like Shakespeare's puck. Looking at the tiny print written in the play form, I see R's alter alternate with the F's, which probably means Father. What's the R stand for, I ask? Father says, response. Now, Isaac, son, do you read? Isaac's got that puzzled look again. Father must not work alone. Oh, father must not work with seven, seven year olds much. The prayer I'm holding is written in adult devil. He's only in third grade, I say, but Ben can. Okay, Ben, share with your mom, father says, handing dad a copy and pulling a pair of glasses from his pocket, letting them rest low on the ridge of his rather nubby nose. This guy's face radiates so much goodness that he could power up a light bulb with his mouth like Uncle Fester. Father dribbles sacred water from the bottle onto his fingertips, then draws an invisible sign of the cross. In a robust baritone, the words, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ring throughout the enclosed hall. I always wondered why Catholics draw the symbol in the air, but now it doesn't seem to be an appropriate time to ask. Father continues, peace be with this house and with all who live here. It doesn't seem fair that Alex doesn't have to be here to reap this peace. Following the prayer, Father recites something about Christ becoming a man via virgin birth, and how God told the disciples to stay only in peaceful houses and eat what is given to them. Father clears his throat and flips his palm open like he's receiving a gift. Oh, sorry, I say, searching my paper for the word R. Okay, happy with those who fear the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Sorry. Father's turn. An evil report he shall not fear. His heart is firm. Trust in the Lord. His heart is steadfast. He looks down on his foes. Our turn. I nudge Ben who nudges me back. Happy are those who fear the Lord, we all chant. Turning this page, Father's voice rises in progression with the invocation for God's help. In you, in you every dwelling grows with the holy, into a holy temple. Grant that those who live in this house may be built up together into the dwelling place of God and the Holy Spirit. Our turn. Lord, hear our prayer. We're getting the hang of this mantra thing now. Father belts out an amen and squeezes the bottle of holy water. Water dribbles onto the walls and floor. Father, Father squirts his way through the upstairs and makes his way back to Isaac's room where he says, Ah, yes, we need to say an extra prayer here. I turn and make eye contact with the boys who are behind me and mime to rise. Father signs and invokes the Trinity. Any person who is deceased and hang around, his house, around, around this house know that this is someone else's house and you may no longer stay here. Restless spirits abiding here move into the light. Allow the light, God's light, to surround you and be at peace. You're safe in the light. Here, Father says, placing the bottle into Isaac's hand. You try. Just aim and squeeze. Isaac raises his eyebrows, staring at the bottle as if he's been asked to stick his hand in a rattlesnake hole. Go ahead, give it a whirl, Father says. This holy man isn't about to take no for an answer. Pointing the spot toward his trophy shelf, where the, where the Mickey Globe used to sit, Isaac squirts the holy water under his awards and aims toward the TV. I snatch the bottle. Not the TV, but I say, it's holy, but it's still water. Water and the TVs don't mix. The words are barely out of my mouth when I realize we're using water to ward off water. Wouldn't that be like fighting fire with fire? How does that work? Is the holy water positively charged and the evil water negatively charged? Father slips his glasses into his shirt pocket. Isaac, he says, whenever you see something that shouldn't be in here, say a prayer and squirt away. When I finish here, I'll leave this bottle with you. And if you need a refill, well, there's plenty where I came from, where that came from. After the prayer, envoy travels through the first story of the and the basement with Father while leading the way. 
praying and squirting. He plants his cap atop his head and suggests that he bless the perimeter of the house since there may be unwanted spirits roaming the grounds. We all follow out single file behind Father Nick, who surveys the yard and walks to the spot by the driveway where the trash cans and a, cre and a creature in black had last sat last night. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Father says, signing the cross, the sleeves of his black shirt snapping in the brisk wind. Stepping us steadily towards forward on the yard that's bumpy with roll mounds, he walks under two elm trees while, while slinging blessed water and praying into the wind. I hobble behind him with my foot that's still sore from the gun that landed on it, and hope we will be done with before the dark clouds approaching from the west unleash a torrent. Ben and Isaac are looking for, looking toward the house, probably hoping the passers-by won't see their faces. Rumors are being substantiated with each second we are out here. That's for sure. At the edge of the yard, bordering, bordering the main road, father faces the wind. Two teenage bicyclists twist their necks to watch our holy man's ritual. One steers into the middle guardrail and topples over. The wind chimes are clinking, providing a background cantata, and I'm reminded to be grateful for the change that I prayed to my dear departed grandma is coming. With the wind picking up, I only catch a few of Father's words like, surround and protect, and Archangel Michael defend us in battle, but I stroll along behind him, hands folded into a steeple. Dad and the boys have formed a circle and are hanging back near the porch. I turn to the sound of, bra of a brake screeching to see a man gawking my way from behind the wheel of an Oldsmobile that's straddling the center line. The first the first in a line of slow-moving traffic and steering passengers. Someone's probably already sent our ritual spiraling, spiraling through YouTube cyberspace. Mrs. Z may have activated an alert on her own hotline by now. I'd feel horrible if someone wrecked as a result of watching this bizarre parade. But as long as Father Nick encircles my home with grace and protection, I don't care what anyone thinks. Dad heads inside with the boys. Father and I trek into the dazzling rain alongside the row of towering evergreens to the north the three-car garage behind the house, and the weight room. Arriving back at our starting point, Father hands me the flask of holy water and tells me to call if I need him. As my, as my Santa in black pulls out, the heat miser pulls around the back, and Claire is on the scene. I know that God has to be giving me way more credit for handling stress than I deserve because this woman will destroy my, my perimeters for acceptable hostess behavior. I run inside to tell Dad that Claire will be at the door in a second. Sounds like a good time for, D for a DQ run. All this praying has made me hungry, he says, tipping his hat on his head. Isaac, go tell your brother. Thanks, I say, tick-tocking my finger at him like a windshield wipers. There's a knock at the door, and Dad winks at me. Hi, Claire, I say, opening the door for Alex's aunt, whose prickly black frocks remain stiff, even with the wind that's swirling the rain under the carport. Clasping a red handbag, she has draped over her wrist. She looks down her nose and edges towards the door. A purse? She must plan a lengthy visit. We were just on our way to DQ. We were looking for Alex. I say, even though Claire would know he's at work. Hello, Savannah. No, I was on my way to the bank, and Claire says, brushing donut crumbs from the bar into her hand before setting her purse on it. I saw Father Nick gallivanting around your yard. I think all of Ridgeland did. What was he doing here? I hold my glass under the fridge water spout. He's blessed the house, I say, wondering why she acts pissed when she's the only one who suggested I call him. I turned with a smile. Maybe she just wants the credit for it. Thanks for suggesting I call him. Hi, Claire, Dad says from his roost on the stool as Claire brushes more crumbs from the bar into the sink as if they were glass. 
I see I wasn't invited to your private party, Claire says, stroking the diamond on her hand that's more brilliant than she is. But I see Cal's here. I, my heart constricting, cringing. Just like when I talk to Alex, I want to yell. Get your arrogant butt out of here. But she would love that. The more, the more conflict, the more she thrives. And I won't give her the satisfaction. Claire, I didn't think to ask you to come. I mean, I know you're not Catholic, so. Well, hell, he's not Catholic either, Claire screams, sending sparks to Dad via a long, bony finger. She jams her fist on her hip, and though thin, crimson red lips announces, Alex should divorce you. You're nuts. Saying the spirits in your house. Dad's on his feet, and I shove my palm straight toward him like I can zap him seated. I've circled this track before, and it always has the same finish line. Claire will think she's right and I'm wrong, and truth and the truth will be obscured by anyone's count. I should feel sorry for her discernment and tactfulness isn't Claire's testamental drawers, but all I feel is disgust and rage at this foaming at the mouth imbecile who thinks she has a right to talk to me like I'm a measly worm in, the, in her jungle. I draw my shoulders back and look into her eyes. Claire, you're the one who told me to call Father Nick because you thought he could help us. Claire tucks her blouse tighter into her polyester pants. Of course I did. I knew Alex couldn't take much more. Ben pounds down the stairs. Dibs on front seat, Papa. Can we go driving? My eyes are molded to Claire's. Father Nick says there could be a spirit here. I allow a smirk to settle onto my face. Does that mean he's nuts too? Claire snatches her purse off the counter and screeches, If there's a spirit in here, you're the one who invited it. Keep double tapping that screen if you if you like what you're hearing. Please keep double tapping that screen. Seeing her legs sprawling in the air, her arms swimming backwards as she tries to defy gravity is by far the most rewarding part of my week. Claire is draped over a step, moaning and rubbing her hip when Dad, Ben, and I reach her. Dad offers her his hand, asking if she is okay, and then volunteer Ben volunteers to call 911. I'm perfectly fine, she says, grinding her wrists out of the concrete beneath her and buckling when she applies her weight to her legs. Dad grabs one of her elbows and I grab the other, together bolstering her ungrateful lump of arrogance through the mist and into her car. Maybe we should, maybe you should see a doctor, I say, more to further embarrass her than out of concern. The curmudgeon says I'm fine and stamping on the accelerator backs out of the drive and I hope out of my life forever. Wow, was she mad, Ben says. She said you brought a spirit here. That's stupid, Mom. He twirls his finger by his head. She's the one who's cuckoo. I'm not telling Ben that Claire may be right this time, that I may have actually, although unintentionally, invited the spirit by means of an angry prayer. I just say, when is she not mad? Get your hoodie and get your brother. I'm definitely feeling DQ. It's either eat sugar or murder Claire. Yep, Dad says, motioning Ben and Isaac. Who's just joined us to get in the car? Dad steps beside me. My prayers for peace when Father was here were nothing compared to the pleas to be relieved from Claire's company that I prayed for ever since I ever since I met her when you and Alex dated in high school. So, I say, my chin doing the jive, tell me how you really feel about her. At the, at the only ice cream shop in town, in Mudsock Heights, I order a double chocolate rocky road for the bumpy morning. I've hurled and watched the boys roll pennies into the spiral yellow contraption for the Diabetes Foundation's charity that's ironically placed inside the Sugar Palace. I sympathize with the coin, on edge, swirling, knowing where it's going to end up, but having to wait out the ride anyway. Soon I'll be motionless in a pit of pennies. As I watch it spin, I glimpse my future in the vortex of movement. I'm on the patio of a house west of here, my house, 
There's a pond and no Alex, just pine trees and squirrels. The picture is clearer than any photo I've seen, but it fades within seconds. I glance around knowing no one else saw it, but half expecting someone to have their mouth hanging open like mine is. I wonder if this vision will be accurate like the one Ben had about the tire. While we sit on while we sit in the booth waiting for our orders, Dad asks me if, if I've told Mom about the spirit in my house. I tell him I haven't talked to her since Christmas and that Luce has decided not to invite her to the wedding. Since the wedding will take place on Dad's lawn, Luce said that Mom attending would be awkward for Dad, even though he'd, he'd said it was Luce's wedding and therefore Luce's choice whether or not to invite her. The server slides a tray of food across the table. Isaac swipes his cone off and asks, and asks if the spirit is gone from our house. Ben rotates an imaginary steering wheel and winks at Dad, from whose mustache is slathered a gob of whipped cream. I hope so, Isaac. I hope it's foraging for another family who needs some excitement. I say, chomping into a cocoa morsel, noticing that Isaac's eyes can't get any wider. His cone-filled hand frozen in midair. I scan the restaurant for the supernatural thing that Isaac must see that I can't. What's wrong, I ask. Isaac points to a spot on his forehead right between his bulging eyes. I smack my palm to his head. Ice cream headache, I say. Put your tongue on the roof of your mouth. I look around at Ben and Dad, who have one hand plastered to their heads mocking me and the other holding their partially eaten parfaits. Isaac glares at them and swats my hand away. Mentioning Mom must have jarred Dad's memory. He reminisces aloud about a fright that Mom had when they first got married. He says one night, while doing dishes, Mom looked out the kitchen window and saw what she thought was her reflection only to realize that the reflection was wearing a hat that she did not have on her head. Neither one of the boys has taken their lips from their ice cream they're holding. This is a rare treat from them for the dessert. Dad sharing stories about Mom. Dad says he took out the back he took out the back door with a shotgun, tackled the window peeper, and was shocked to see the face of a brother in Christ looking up at him from the ground. Dad didn't press charges, and the pervert stopped attending church. Papa, Isaac says, you mean the poor wart? Went to church with you? Poor wart. <laughs> Dad looks at me to interpret. Yes, I, I say, chasing my ice cream and coffee, hot and cold, just like Alex and me. Dad sticks a peanut onto the nub of a cone. Onto Isaac's of a cone. When are you going to speak English, my man? Dad laughs. You quack like you're speaking duck language. Ice cream slobbers down the boys' sunny faces. Yep. The man sure did go to church. Sat in the pew right next to me, Dad says. Must have had cotton in his ears during the sermon about not about not coveting your neighbor's wife. Sorry about that. Covet means to want something someone else has, I say. Handing Isaac a napkin. It's like jealousy. Just going to church doesn't make someone a good person. The church was full of people who liked your well, your mommy's mom. Dad turns to the window and watches the passing cars like it's past, like it's his past he's seeing. Neither of the boys calls her grandma, and Dad's not going to use the term of endearment either. They don't know mom ran off with the preacher soon after that, and they aren't going to find out from me today. I'll need more than ice cream for, for that conversation. That'll call for gin and a special package from that maroon car that frequents Ridgeland's levy. The fact that church folks are human and often unethical, creepy, and wicked doesn't bother me so much, as does knowing that I'm living a lie, being just as hypocritical of those members of the congregation that I abhor. There has to be more to life than pretending to be perfect, to be perfect, to be happy, to not have feelings, and to not care so that others won't see my pain. The biggest lie of all has to be the one I've told myself, that I'm not hurting anyone except myself when I lie, because I am. 
by pretending I can make our marriage work, I'm preventing Alex from being happy with someone else. And when I lie to the boys about my whereabouts, even if they only occasionally figure that out, I'm teaching them that the truth, their truth, is ugly and must be tucked away inside of themselves. Timmy's in the drive with his mom when we pull up to the house. I hop on and Timmy hops in my spot. Dad and the boys take off for an obscure country road to brave an illegal ride with Ben behind the wheel. Inside the house, I tiptoe from room to room, anticipating the sound of the familiar splat. But all I hear is the long, low hoot of a train whistle. Music to my ears. Maybe the water singing demon is gone. I stare out the window at the passing train clacks memories as the passing train clacks memories my way. As a girl, I'd put the penny on the track that wound through the hillside behind Dad's and add the flattened coin to my collection. Even then, the power of the penny enchanted me. How it didn't break under the weight of the steam engine rolling, it o- rolling over it, only transformed into a thinner version of itself. My goal was to collect 100 of them, which seemed like a million to a little girl with a mason jar. I think I had my, I think I had nine of them before I replaced them with lightning bugs. I never was very good at completing anything. Maybe that's why I'm so hesitant to admit I failed at marriage. I want to, I want to be like that copper coin and not let the world flat me either. I want to allow the pressure of life to roll over me and transform me into oil and birth, which I hope is more than a jar full of smashed pennies. Alex is home at four on the dot and volunteers to cook the hamburgers. Both of those things happening congruently as a pretty good indicator the world is coming to an end. So while Alex mans the grill and Ben prances lazy around the pine trees, I pass baseball. I pass baseball with Alex and Tommy in the backyard. If this is the end, I'm having a little wholesome fun first. Just as I'm about to call it quits, a car pulls in and out jumps Mrs. Textbook herself. I spin around in time to catch Isaac's modified curveball and yell to Alex who's on the side porch. Visitor for you, dear. Alex glances up just as I throw the ball to him. He flails his hands in front of his face and catches it. Savvy, I wasn't even looking, daggone woman. If I hadn't. Oh, Savvy, Stacy says, tiptoeing to the grass and heels. I'm not a visitor, and I'm not definitely here to see that moron. She flings her hand in Alex's direction. My arms remain flat to my side while she wraps hers around me and says, Lord, I missed you, girlfriend. I can't make myself hug this woman. Not right now. I have a lot of work to do before I forgive the woman who... Who ha- who's having the affair with my husband. Word has it that you have a visitor, all right. Casper's been spotted here, Stacy says, loosening her hold on me. What in tarnation is going on with you, Sav? Alex strolls through the yard, his flip-flops, and gives Stacy the proper hug I couldn't. How have you been? Haven't seen you in forever, Alex says, exchanging a look with her that contradicts every word he just spoke. She was probably the paperwork he had to complete last night. I know it's been forever, Stacy says. As she looks at my husband, her eyes seem to twinkle like the tiniest Christmas lights. We need to get together. We used to have such... She glances over at Isaac, who's now being led around the yard by Lazy and just out of earshot. Such awesome nights out. Remember when... Hey, Stacy, I really got to get some things ready for school tomorrow. I say walking toward the house. I'll let you and Alice catch up. I leave them both standing there gawking at my departure. But it's that or an all-out war, and I don't have the energy for even a hair-pulling fight right now. Besides, I'm no better than she is. We're both white trash. But at least I'm aspiring to be a better person. When I confront her, if I confront her, it won't be in front of my boys. After Stacy leaves and dinner's over, Alex heads up to the shower, the boys and I to the basement. I toss in laundry while Timmy and Isaac gather Nerf bullets for their arsenal, preparing for the war that will break out as soon as I head upstairs. 
Ben's pulling a blanket from the dresser for the rare school night sleepover, and I'm tugging a sheet onto the bunk bed mattress when I hear Aunt Claire call, Hello! Well, heck, I am not entertaining her right now. She's got a lot of nerve just to barge into the house like this. Ben, go tell Claire that your dad's in the shower, and then go tell, go tell him she's here. Ben's back in a few seconds. She's not here. Oh, I say, tossing out her pillow. Who is it? No one. Ben says, shrugging his shoulder. Nobody's here. Uh-oh. The laundry basket in my arms falls to the floor, and I run up the stairs, Ben on my heels. Sure enough, no one. And the side door to the kitchen is not only shut tight, it's locked. As I run down the stairs, I trip over my feet, and my shin slams into the last riser. I jump up and wave my, wave my finger through the air towards Tommy and Isaac, and ask like I'm lassoing them. You hear Claire coming through the door and yell? They nod. What did you hear her say? Isaac says, hello. When he pronounces the O with a drawl, I know he heard the same voice I did. I don't know what the hell is going on here, but at least the water isn't spraying. I can understand God letting the water spray inside a house, even a demon. But surely God's not cruel enough to pit Alex's malevolent ad against us. Isaac's glancing toward the kitchen just as water shoots Tommy in the leg, soaking his PJs. While Tommy's on tiptoe and flailing his arms like a ballerina, I hear the half-bath come out of flesh and Ben yell, Aw, Mom. Who needs Xbox anyway? I've got a water demon, a textbook hussy, and a ghost masquerading as Claire. I'll call Father Nick in the morning. My Santa in black better get his crucifix ready. We need a full-out exorcism. I hid. I leave the boys shooting Nerf guns, totes piled up high shields, and hide out in my closet upstairs to decide what to do. Telling Alex about the voice or the commode won't make any any of the chaos stops, so I'll pretend for now that things here are sublime. Alex hasn't mentioned Stacy's visit for my abrupt departure from the reunion in the backyard. He probably knows to do so would be as dangerous as, as noodling for a catfish. Alex is my husband, and as sick as it makes me, to th makes me to think of him or any other man touching me, I would rather feel sick than feel nothing. I don't want to be numb to the torment to what feels like the excruciating ripping apart of my internal organs. I have to feel all the emotions that accompany being with Alex or anyone else. The emotions are invariably tied to my main to, to, to my main body, my heart, that wants to feel unconditional love, the love that childhood dreams are made of. I have the pattern memorized. First, I'll feel like an object, not a person, but a means for the, for the man to get off. Then he'll start touching me. Etc. 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 Okay, let's go to this. Okay, the cycle is relentless, but at least it's a cycle, and that means there's movement. And movement beats stagnation any time. To stop moving is to die. Alex is lying in our room watching Sons of Anarchy when I strut in dressed in nothing, and nothing but chaps and a black leather vest. Whoa. Okay, so. Let's see where this goes. Okay. So they get together. We're just going to go with that. Okay. In the morning, I'm shuffling Isaac and Tommy out the door to catch the school bus when water sprays me in the face. I'm st it's still here, it seems to say. I slam the door and bark. Yeah, whatever. Who are you talking to, Ben says, walking toward the garage and munching on a sausage biscuit? I wish I knew, I say, dabbing my cheeks with the tissue. Ben laughs. You told the spirit to bugger off. I'm going to tell Father Nick on you. 
I snapped my seatbelt and backed down the drive. Hey, if Father Nick were living here, he'd be saying bugger off. Also, darn demon's still here, but this thing is not going to win. Father said he will come back as often as we need him. That if the blessings didn't work, he'll come back and do it in an exorcism. You know what that means? Heck yeah, are you serious? Like the exorcism of Emily Rose? I didn't know they could do that to houses too, Ben says excitedly. An exorcism can be done anywhere. I say inching further away from my creepy house. Anywhere there's evil. During the breakfast at school, I'm in the cafeteria that's buzzing with students not so eager to return after such a short spring break when I get a text from Stacy. She wants to go to the movies this weekend. She doesn't know that I know she's another notch on Alex's dumbbell. I tell her Alex and I will be out with another couple that evening, even though we don't really have plans. Stacy responds that she misses me and our just girls time strolling the mall and chatting at Panera. I almost feel sorry for her. Almost. I snap. I step into the faculty restroom and leave a message for Father on the machine at the rectory. That's what Father Nick called the church office. I don't tell him that his blessing didn't work. I don't want to offend him. I just ask him to call me. Alex is going to be mad that I bothered my new repairman to find connections again. But I have to. I have to believe that Father Nick is my designated helper. Or I'll be joining the Bridge Jumpers Club or admitting myself to the ward where I can flap around pretending to be an airplane or a chicken laying on the ground, laying a golden egg. After lunch, as, as juniors trickle into my favorite English class, I'm at my post in the hallway when I overhear a student, Brandon, in his locker, telling Terry, my uncle said Joey got her granddad killed. Aha, how's that, Terry asks. Brandon removes his grungy baseball cap. Okay, we're going to slim over that, okay? I'm not going to go there. The students know my husband's a cop, but if I act like I already know, know the scoop, they'll end up telling me what they think I already know. Terry and Brandon step past me, and I ask them to hold up. I open my door and shout over the bustle, bell ringers. Stepping back into the hall, I notice three girls huddling by a locker and applying lip gloss. Get a move on. You can primp later, I say. Tallest girl rolls her eyes and slams her locker shut with her middle finger predominantly high. But I'm not taking time to write that up now. I've got enough paperwork. I just yell, hey, Sabrina. And when she turns around, my middle finger is scratching a spot on my head. Hurry on now, I say, smiling. As I turn back to Brandon and Terry, I spot a couple making out in the niche by Mrs. Z's room. Save it for the weekend, I say. Just because Mrs. Z has a sub doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. The boy drags his lips away from the girls, and she skips into the room. I lean toward Terry and Brandon. Boys, look, not everyone knows about Zoe and Cliff. I say, not knowing who the heck Cliff is, let alone how Hank had a beef with him. Okay, the police are investigating the connection, but you know this could, this could be just a rumor. Terry sticks his hand into his warm jean pockets and shrugs. Yeah, but Mrs. Templeton, Cliff's, Cliff's mean. Brandon says, shifting to one leg. My uncle thinks he's done things, you know? I lie. I've heard of him. Alex arrested him for, for domestic ones. Terry shakes his head and Brandon says, well, he come to our house a lot. Talk to my uncle. Okay, boys, keep this under your hat. You don't want to get in the middle of a murder investigation, do you? Heck no, uh-uh, Terry stutters as they both head into the room, crossed me crossing over the threshold right behind them. To the one tiny space in the world, I wield some control. Today, we join Edgar Allan Poe's character in The Pit and the Pendulum, who must decide on death by falling into a pit or being scorched by burning walls as they close around him. I'd rather be floating downriver with old Tom and Hook, but the vessel of hate called the Spanish Inquisition is heralding my class to a point 
or a port of desperation in which I can relate. I'm not burning at the stake or spread eagle on a rack, but I feel bound and pulled in two directions. The love I have for Alex and the love I want for myself is competing. There's just not room for both. I can leave Alex and dive into the pit of the unknown or stick it out with him and no doubt get burned. Neither option is enticing. The class is watching a video clip of the history of the torture that was imposed by Pope Sixtus during the early 15th century. The principal steps into my room and takes notes from a seat in the back. Mr. Myers, shirt soaked with sweat from the armpits to the front pocket of his shirt, jots notes as the class discusses how greed played into the church's murder frenzy. I know he always sweats this way, but it's still unnerving watching him sweat and scribble away. Isn't the church supposed to care about people no matter who they are? Brandon asked as the video ends. Why'd they kill people? Control, Brandon. The church wanted control. That's why people who were accused of hearsay, heresy, I'm sorry, hearsay, <laughs> heresy, heresy, or speaking against the church's beliefs were killed. Then the accused belongings were split between the church and the government. I write the word discrimination on the board and ask for a volunteer to read it. Courtney pronounces it correctly, and I say, the church is made up of people, Brandon. Just because some of the people in the Catholic Church discriminated and killed others doesn't mean that all Catholics were bad people. Over the years, various groups of people have been discriminated against, like the blacks in America, the, the Jews in Germany. But you know, for each bad thing that happens, or injustice, or unfairness, however you want to say it, there is good that comes from it. There are, there are advocates. Who knows what an advocate is? Matt, who has rejoined the class after a week's suspension, is painting his nails with a black Sharpie. Matt, I, Matt, eyes appear. You can take care of your beauty needs at home. The class snickers, and he gives me a drop-dead look before slowly recapping the marker. He's still not looking at the board, just scribbling on his notebook. But I can, I can live with that. Matt, comp Matt, Matt, ugh, Matt complied, and Mr. Myers will approve of how I handled that. He knows I really have discipline issues. I tell him it's because I care about the kids, and they know it. The only time a student is getting kicked out of my room is if he's flat-out non-compliant. I enjoy that an advocate is a person. I explain, I'm sorry, that an advocate is a person who supports a cause or supports someone who can't speak up for themselves. And I ask, who knows the famous person who ad advocated for black people's rights? Oh, Terry shouts, Mama Martin Luther King. Yes, great. And who helped hundreds of Jews escape the concentration camps? An awkward silence follows. Okay, hint. I say, you've seen the movie in history class. His name starts with an S. And he, and he made a list of people he helped. Sam, the quietest boy... In, in the class hand, Mrs. Templeton, I know Schindler. It's Schindler's List. He sold his ring to pay for people and saved them from the camps. Right, Sam. Schindler and MLK were advocates. A few students shuffle papers into book bags and sneak peeks at the clock on the wall. Not yet, I say. Class isn't over till I say it's over. The students look at me like an orangutan just ate their cell phone. Tomorrow, I say, extending the lesson so there's not a second that the kiddos aren't being instructed. Mr. Myers would frown on even one minute of free time especially if he's writing a formal evaluation. We will discuss how the church put Gal Galileo through the Inquisition because he had enough nerve to say the sun, not the earth, is the center of the universe. No reaction from my pounding class. And discuss why the church burned thousands of books, I say. Cool, Matt says, pulling a plastic lighter from his jean pocket and holding it under his textbook. Perfect. At least I got his attention. But I'm pretty sure that lighters are forbidden on school property. I glance at Mr. Myers, whose wrinkled forehead and puckered mouth tell me I'm right. Matt, get me Mr. Give Mr. Myers a lighter. Matt huffs back and lays it on the principal's stack of papers. 
The bell rings, and I want to check in with Courtney to see if she's living with her mom or back with her dad. But Mr. Meyer strolls up at my desk. The students rush out. Very interesting lesson, Savannah. Stop in my office later. Yes, sir. I'll be in last period. Planning. Good. It's important. My sweat-soaked supervisor says, stepping back as my next and last class of the day trickles in. I'd really like, I'd really like to take a break, but who has time for that? I figure I'm not the only teacher in public school who's tired of the tight schedule. Sounds like Myers wants to talk about more than my routine observation. Maybe he didn't like the con the, con the, con the controversial topic, but I know he approved my lesson plans. I hastily call Alex and tell him Brandon's scoop about Cliff, but it's not a scoop to Alex. He had already interviewed Brandon's uncle because it was Hank's best friend. But the guy was afraid of, of this Cliff, just like most everyone who knows him. So Brandon's uncle didn't provide enough information for probable cause to even call Cliff into questioning. During planning, I'm clomping to the hall on the way to Mr. Meyer's office when my cell buzzes. I step into the faculty restroom to have a private conversation with Father Nick, whose number I'm more than pleased to see than any other person in my contact list. The fact that I'd rather hear from him than a lever tells me I just might be able to grab onto these, those elusive morals I'm coveting. Father says he can perform an exorcism in the house tomorrow evening. I hang up and say the word aloud to myself. Exorcism, exorcism. If you like what you hear over there on TikTok, double tap that screen. Please double tap that screen. I really appreciate it. And if you guys could help me out with a corgi, that would be great too. Same thing for Facebook and YouTube. Show me some love, you guys. Show me some love. I find Mr. Meyer on the phone in his office, but he motions me in. I close the door and sit while he tells me parent well, he tells the parent on the phone at the other end that their little angel has a gutted highlighter with Lord Tab shoved in it. The eighth grader is suspended and on her way home with a pro. P.R.O. Mr. Myers hangs up, wipes his brow with a hanky, and says he's impressed by the participation he observed in my junior class. I thank him. There has to be more. Sweat beads are dotting his forehead again already. He sticks the end of a pen into his ear, wiggles it around, and says, A parent called the board office. Says you've been telling your students that there's a ghost in your room. A laugh explodes from my mouth so fast that spit lands on the paper by Mr. Meyer's sweating hand. Do what? I say you're kidding. I told the superintendent that I would check out your class and talk to you. I brace my hands on the edge of my desk, of his desk close to me. Remember when I had to leave early one day last week to meet the repairman at my house? He nods. I believe there's, I may have mentioned to the students that there's a spirit in my house. Had nothing to do with, with my room here at school. I figured it had to do with your house, he says. I have heard. Well, Mrs. Z had mentioned you had a, a priest there. I bet she did. I appreciate her concern. I sit back. I don't want to be reprimanded for blending my personal life into my classroom. And I say, I greatly appreciate your concern and discretion with the whole matter. Mr. Myers makes a note and says, you know, kids, Savannah, they're going to take, they're going to take a statement like that and contort it into a zillion fantasies. Just write up what, what you told me about the house repair. Leave Leave out that you said anything about anything to the students. I'll fax it to the super. Cover my butt. Absolutely, I say, getting up. You're right. I'll take care of it. Thanks for being understanding. I hesitate, my hand on the doorknob. My life got really complicated really fast a few weeks ago. Feel like I'm treading water. I appreciate you not jumping to conclusions about my ghost. A smile crosses his clammy cheeks. I'm certainly glad I didn't see one. <laughs> At home, I'm dusting the living room when the kitchen door opens and a woman's voice says, Hey. In here, I say, hoping there's a real person to accompany the voice this time. Loose, a flowered bag slung over her shoulder, whips, 
comes in. Thought I'd get your mind off your crazy life, she said, pulling out a hairstyle magazine. Look at this, she says, pointing to an updo. Perfect, don't you think? Everything from the upsweep to the nape of the neck and to the tendrils framing the left side part would compliment Luce's face. Ah, Luce, the do is you. I say, what else What else you got in there? Luce empties her bag, strewing catalogs of cake designs along with samples of embossed napkins and trendy guest favors. I picked up a silver monogram napkin. Cool. This compliments the turquoise centerpieces. Luce smiles. I've already ordered those, she says, as water splatters on the table. Soaking a few catalogs, a fine mist settling on the entire table. Dang it. Is that what you've been living with? Luce says, covering the papers with her hands, as if she expected water, excuse me, water to spray again at any moment. That scared the crap out of me. I get a dry dish towel. Yep, and I'm sick of drying it up. But father's coming tomorrow. How do you, you know, to do an exorcism? I say, dabbling the table as another spray hits Luce in the face. My God, Sav, Luce says, this is incredible. What the heck? Isaac wanders in and glances at the tux on the magazine cover. He wrinkles his nose. Aunt Luce, do I have to wear one of those duck suits? Quack, quack. Nah, you can just wear shorts, Luce says. Heck, it's just a wedding. Isaac busts out laughing. Isaac loves Luce, Luce cussing. Ever since she found out that cussing gets him to smile for a picture, she does it to mess with him. What's so funny, Alex says. I turn, startled to hear his voice. He's still in uniform and scouring the fridge already. Probably didn't get lunch today. Isaac's wearing shorts to the wedding. He got Luce's official okay. I'm going to wear my overalls, Alex says with a chuckle, and strops down the basement stairs to remove the stiff green uniform. Luce gathers her wedding paraphernalia, saying we need to leave so we can get to the bridal shop by five. You still not inviting Mom, I ask? Nope. It would just be plain awkward. True. What was it, ten years ago that she drove in for Grandpa's funeral? I don't think that was the last time I saw her. Or I think, I'm sorry, I think that was the last time I saw her. I grab my purse as Alex bops through the basement door, bumping into Luce, who drops her bundles of papers. Alex scoops one of the damp magazines from the floor and holds it at arm's length, like he's holding a vial of bubonic plague. You sure you want to get married? Luce just smiles at him as I walk towards the door. Why are these wet, Alex asked, shaking the one in his hand. Thought your priest's visit was supposed to stop all this stuff. Don't worry, Alex, Luce says, snatching the magazine from his hand. Priest is going to make another house call. Savvy, Savvy's on the ball. Alex smirks at me. I told you it wouldn't work. That priest must be as crazy as you are. I open the side door. Got to get to the dress shop. We've. Where are you going? Alex glares at me. I feel like I'm being accused of something underhanded, and this time I'm really going to. I'm really going where I say I am. I just said the dress shop. We have to get fitted for our. Guess there's no dinner. Alex raises his arms, but he's expecting mana to pour from heaven. Mashed potatoes and steak would be too much to ask for he says, and gurgles out this evil laugh that makes me feel like I just gulped a flask of leech. Alex is his Aunt Claire without male parts. A generous-sized deal. I suppose that's my my consolation prize for selling myself short. Ben barrels through, chasing Isaac, who has a guitar snapped across his chest. Mashed potatoes? Sounds good, Ben says. Awesome, Isaac says. Mashed potatoes. Now I feel guilty. Alex might expect the taters, but does he have to incite the kids to expect the stupid things, too? I want to vomit the bleach I swear I just drank. No, honey, I say, caressing the door handle like it's really tenderly. I just wanted to enjoy my sister's wedding bliss, since I don't know where my, my only lope to. Daddy was joking, I say. He's going to fix you something. I'll fix you some mashed potatoes tomorrow, sweetie pie, I promise. 
Alex rips the plastic off a frozen chicken entree. Luce, you're gonna be a good wife and have dinner ready every night. Luce looks at Alex like, 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 like she's sipping from the same bottle I am. Walks past me and out the door. I peer in the living room where the boys have settled in, into a show and let my gaze burn through Alex's head until I feel a fire burning in mine. I flick my tongue until I have enough spit to swallow and say, "Do you have to be such a butthead?" I'm in the car before he has time to respond. Luce, I say, I'm sorry. Alex thinks he's funny. Luce starts the car and puts her hands on my knee. Savvy, dear, I'm the one who's sorry. He's so hateful, always has been. But he's worse than he used to be. I don't know how you stand being around him. It's no wonder you, you, it's no wonder you have a spirit in your house. He is evil. So Luce, so Luce thinks Alex is not only mean, but evil. I recline and I look out the window. I want to tell her I think it was me who was the evil in, not Alex. But that would require too much explanation. I click my seatbelt. He says I never cook, and then when I do, it's not good enough. Luce punches the accelerator. Sav, Alex is full of it. I'm rarely at your house that you aren't cooking. I should make him some lax lace brownies, I say, trying to sound impervious to the pain I'm feeling. I'm not dampening any of my dampening any of my sister's little sister's enthusiasm for marriage by divulging the extent of civil unrest growing between Alex and me. Nothing she can do about it anyway. I'm not telling him what time father's calling coming tomorrow, or that he's performing an exorcism, going to let it be a surprise. I'm not telling dad either. I need to take care of this myself. For the 10-minute trip, Luce and I rant about teaching and rave about the latest purse styles, one of which I'm totally. Girl time with Luce is satisfying in a way that bony bitches aren't. With Luce, I feel accepted and respected. Luce's two bridesmaids are already inside sipping on wine when I stroll into the boutique. As we shimmy into dresses, Luce chats with her friends and I feel a tinge of jealousy. Not because Luce has friends, but because I don't. I go through them faster than Dad, and I do a pot of coffee. Could you have something to do, you know, could it have something to do with the fact that they usually end up messing around with my husband? My social barometer is definitely out of whack, but I'm not sure I want it fixed. Being a loner makes it easier to pretend that I don't care if others like me. I can hide the real me from other people, but I'm realizing I can't hide from myself. After the fitting, we all hit the cornerstone quarry for a bite and secure the table close to the fire that, that licks the surrounding stones year-round. A young couple is sitting at the nearby table where Alex and I sat last week. I watch the brunette bat her eyes and look away giggling as the man across from her reaches over and clasps her hand. She lifts her derriere and leans across the salsa and chips, her lips meeting his. Looks so simple. Why can't I have that? With flames flickering in the background and a long overdue raspberry daiquiri weighing down my hand, I permit myself to be whisked away to wedding fantasy land, where caterers and flowers reign, beats the heck out of plumbers and repairmen, floating eyeballs and demons. Luce tells us which groomsmen will escort us down the aisle, and when she gets to Logan, she pauses. It's so sad, she says. Know how Carrie left him like that. I just can't believe she left the boys, too. All for a cowboy out in Utah who gallops her away on, galloped her away on his white horse. Bridesmaid one says, I heard she was living out there in one of those communes, you know, like the Mormons. Luce's red-haired girlfriend says, no, Carrie's not Mormon. She's far from that. Mrs. Zavitz, well, you know, her from church, Savannah. She says Carrie has a, she leans so far, the candle in the middle of the table flickers from her breath. Girlfriend out there in Utah. These are kind of twisted stories people will probably be telling about me if I leave Alex. Not that a girlfriend's a bad idea, although I have considered it before. The point people miss 
amidst rumors is that everyone's trying to find happiness unless they've already have it. And I'm sure Carrie's no different. The decision to leave someone like Logan must have been difficult. He seemed so sweet. Granted, I wish Carrie hadn't had an affair with Alex during her quest for whatever she's searching for. But that happened years ago. So she must still be searching. I'm seeking happiness too. But I know that having an affair with her hubby to win sweet revenge really wouldn't feel so sweet. I'm sure I could get Logan to play, but I'd still be miserable and guilty. I am, however, going to indulge the urge to catch a buzz right now. I waved the waitress down and asked for another daiquiri. Until tonight, I haven't had a drink in only five years, in over five years. But tonight's a good night to fall off the wagon, if there ever was one. Luce glances around at the family besides us with the squealing kid. I guess she figures the adults are so occupied by picking up every morsel the brat throws that they won't be eavesdropping on our ruined conversation. Look, she says, Logan told Jack that they've both been miserable for quite some time, but that he just couldn't leave her. and said her leaving him might have been the best thing for both of them. That Carrie was stronger than he was, than he was for being the one to call it quits. Maybe that's how Alex feels about me. Maybe he's hoping I'll leave. Then it would be my fault the marriage didn't work, not his. I slurped through the whipping cream that's floating in the goblet the waitress just handed me and chug a long swallow of liquid, of liquid beneath. If we split, rumors would generate no matter what the circumstances. But I don't want the thought to be that I left him for another man. If I leave Alex, it will be to find myself. Bridesmaid one says, oh, but just look at what Carrie left. Hmm. That Logan is a spectacle worthy of billboard in Times Square for sure. Savvy, who says, scooping the salsa onto a chip. You're awful quiet. So, something wrong? I'm thinking how shocked I'm thinking how shocked they would all look if I casually tell them that a few years ago, Carrie messed with Alex, and that perhaps she's trying to be happy. No, just tired from everything going on at home, I say. There's not a billboard big enough to illustrate the grand spectacle inside my house. Luce told me, the redhead says, coughing up the tortilla chip, a ghost is spraying water inside your house. How fantastic. Each woman's gaze is locked on me. I permit the raspberry daiquiri to smooth my throat and then say, any fan of a mine would have to be fantastic indeed. Okay. Chapter 20 will be next week. Um, let me click off here to Facebook and all this. Okay. So we're at chapter 20. All right. It's been a long day of reading, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, things are picking up at the house. Again, you know, I do this weekly for, for people who are on TikTok. I read every Sunday for at least an hour. Today was a, what, an hour and 45 minutes. Yikes. But, but I read at least for an hour on Sunday to a, you know, to a paranormal themed book. A lot of the time, it's a true, true paranormal, not paranormal, <laughs> doesn't want to work, true paranormal story. And this one, for instance, is based on what this woman went through. So, you know, um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. This is a true story. Sometimes they're not true stories. Sometimes they're just paranormal theme, right? So we do that every Sunday. Also, starting tomorrow, my guest is going to be David Oates. David Oates is a reverse speech expert. And what he's going to be talking about is uh, the Apollo moon landings that he th that he thinks through verifying the re uh, verifying the reverse speech of the astronauts that he can verify that we actually landed on the moon that it wasn't a hoax. So he's got some stuff to share with us tomorrow about that, plus some other stuff of his reverse speech work. But uh, thank you guys, thank you guys for sticking with me all this time. And again, if you're over on TikTok and you want to get a few last minute taps in. Uh, please do tap the screen and uh, show me some love because I do want to be put you know higher up in that in that system. The same thing goes for Facebook and um, YouTube. It's hot in here too. Um, 
what else? Oh yes, my class. So I'm teaching that class. Uh, I think it's June 10th. It's going to be a like a 1 p.m. class. I'm going to teach it early so people can get earlier. Like the people on the East Coast and stuff can can attend the class. I'm going to teach you all about uh, uh, protective stones, all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to teach you how to make a talisman. I'm going to teach you how to make a make a medicine bag and all kinds of stuff to protect you and protect your family and protect your dogs and do all this other stuff. So check it out. You have to go over to California Haunts Meetup at uh, meetup.com to find us and uh, look, look for that event to join. Okay. And again, for everybody that's on TikTok and isn't aware of it, I do a weekly radio show Sunday through uh, Saturday. Sundays, I, I, I read from a paranormal theme book. Uh, Monday to Thursday, I have paranormal guests on. It could be UFOs. It could be Iraq. You know, it could be cryptids, anything like that. Uh, if you're interested in seeing that, that's at 6.30 p.m. Pacific every night, and that's over at youtube.com uh, forward slash at California Haunts Radio if you want to see that. But again, it's 6.30 p.m., so uh, join us over there. I'm also looking for subscribers, not so much here, but over at YouTube. So if you go over to YouTube and check out our videos and you feel like you want to subscribe, please do so because I'm trying to build that up as well as, you know, work on uh, TikTok, all right? And we're going to be doing some live things on TikTok coming up here. Karen Clark, one of our psychics, will be doing readings, live readings on TikTok for you guys. And we have all kinds of paranormal information to share with you guys. We're going to be telling paranormal stories. We're going to be talking about ghosts. Uh, you know, we're going to take you guys on some investigations with us. So it's all coming. It's all pending. You know, so I hope you decide to come. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. We're just trying to get the word out about the show. Honest, we are. And if you want to try and find California Haunts, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on um, Instagram at uh, Ghosty Gal. That's all lowercase. You can find us over at Twitter under Cal Haunts. You can find us at Twitch under Cal Haunts. And, of course, you can find us over on TikTok under California Haunts. I want to thank you all for coming tonight. I will see you all at 630 tomorrow for uh, David Oates. And hopefully you guys can join. You guys from TikTok can join us over there. Uh, you know. Uh, it's YouTube. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow, guys. Have a great one.